You all are in for a treat. You know, when we started our session this morning, our hope was that we would inspire people to get involved in this community. We wanted people to invest in tech nonprofits. We wanted people to work for tech nonprofits. And we wanted people to start tech nonprofits. And Evan has done all three. So thank you so much for being our final session of well, the day. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thank you. So I'm curious. Now, you've started a number of companies, which you sold and did very well. You could have done anything. How did you become obsessed with the problem of getting kids connected to the internet? Yeah, so um, in 2010, I left my last uh, for-profit organization and I decided that I wanted to make a difference. And I didn't really know how I wanted to make a difference, but I got really lucky because three really interesting things happened to me. So the first was that I was um, on the board of my daughter's school and uh, I heard about Khan Academy. So Khan Academy, I'm sure most of you have heard about, is a, uh, a great platform that helps kids learn. And um, so I went to the teachers at our school and I said, oh, Khan Academy, we should use that. That'll be great. It'll help our classrooms. And they said, oh, yeah, we tried that. It didn't work. And I said, what do you mean it didn't work? Like you didn't get the learning outcomes you were looking for? And they said, oh, no, we didn't get that far. And, and, and basically what had happened was they had lousy internet. And I figured out that they couldn't use these tools because they had bad internet access. And so that was the first thing that happened. The second thing that happened was that um, I had read this book called Bold Endeavors, which talked about how government is critical to changing the face of America. And it was 10 vignettes like um, the Erie Canal and the Transcontinental Railroad. And these were projects where, you know, only the government was big enough to get them done but they completely transformed what was going on. And that was inspiring to me. And I was like, wow, maybe I could do something on the infrastructure side. And so I started putting two and two together. I was like, infrastructure, internet. And then I, uh, I was lucky enough to be invited to a, a meeting at the White House. And the, the theme was, how do we make technology better? I mean, how do we make America better with technology? And um, I was like, well, what am I gonna talk about? And then I thought about, well, internet and schools and ed tech and, and so I went there and long story short, the chief technology officer of America like challenged me to fix this problem. And, uh, and I said, well, yeah, that's great. I, I should go do that. And, and I knew it was something where I didn't have to invent the solution. I didn't have to invent fiber. I didn't have to invent Wi-Fi. I, but, but I had to figure out how to get it to scale. And so that's, that's how I got obsessed with it. And I'm also the son of two educators, and education has opened every door in my life, and so I had a lot of passion for that as well. That's really interesting, because education is one of those things that there are so many factors that result in the kinds of education that kids get, and this particular solution is pretty finite. Very finite. We, uh, so we basically, our theory was, if we fit fix the networks in schools. And we, we found a survey that said that 80% of schools had bad internet back in, in 2012. And um, we said, if we fix the internet in schools, we will enable teachers and students to use technology in the classroom. And so, and, and our theory was, if they can use technology in the classroom, they can change education and they can make education better for everybody and they can create equal access to educational opportunity. And so we said, well, we're going to focus on fixing the internet problem. We're not going to get involved in curriculum. We're not getting involved in devices or anything else because we said, you know, we want a problem that 
has an endpoint. There are only 100,000 schools in America. They're, they're in public schools, there are 47 million kids. Four million of them had good internet. We were like, let's go fix that, and let's stay focused on that and get that done. But it's not just finite. You also gave yourself an endpoint, right? Eight years. Eight years. That is a random number. <laughs> How did you come up with that? Yeah, it's random, except for the fact that I knew myself, and I knew that I get bored after about seven or eight years. And yeah. if, if I'm not still learning, I'm going to like not be very engaged. And so I said, eight years, let's do it. So we started in 2012, and uh, we're going to be done in September of 2020. Eight years. They're going to be done. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. So I'm really interested as a for-profit entrepreneur, what are some of the differences in running a tech nonprofit? Particularly, what are some of the differences around fundraising? Like, we know all entrepreneurs whine about fundraising. Yeah. What are some of the differences? Well, first of all, it's a lot harder to raise money in the nonprofit world than in the for-profit world. Um, in the for-profit world, you have a very clear transaction that mm -hmm. you're doing. You give me your money, I'm going to give you more back. In the nonprofit world, you have a very different conversation going on, which is, I care about fixing this problem. You should care about it too. And you should give me some of your money so that I can, I can fix this problem. But one of the challenges I think all nonprofits run into when they're raising funds mm -hmm. is that it's, there's not a lot of transparency about who cares about the problems that you are trying to fix. And my experience has been that it's really hard to convince people to care about a problem that they don't already care about. And so you have to sort of find, you got to be the, the round peg in the round hole. If you try to be the square peg in the round hole, it's really hard to raise money. And so I, I think that's a, a big challenge when you're fundraising uh, on the nonprofit side. Now, the flip side, and, and the other problem is, I think, as, as a nonprofit, is that um, there's way more competition for the dollars that are out there. I mean, there's, yeah. there's almost infinite amount of money that wants to make more money. But there's really a lot of, there is a finite amount of money in the philanthropic sector. Now, we should talk about government. Yeah. Um, but there's a finite amount of money in the philanthropic sector to fund things. And there are a lot of really good ideas and a lot of incredibly passionate people yeah. working on issues that need that funding. And did you have any tricks for navigating that? and how you structured your asks or the deals? Yeah, so we, uh, we raised money the only way I knew how to raise money, which was the way I raised money when I was on the for-profit side. And, and what I call that is really milestone-based fundraising. Mm -hmm. So most nonprofits that I know, you know, they raise money to an annual budget. And um, we thought about it differently. We went and we said, our first set of funders, I need a million dollars to prove to you that this is a problem yeah. and that there is interest in the government sector in particular in solving this. And so we raised a million dollars and we proved that. And then I came back to them and say, okay, now I need $10 million yeah. to get the policy change done and to get the distribution channel, which for us was state government set up mm -hmm. um, so that we can actually go and now fix the problem, get the resources and fix the problem. And so we, we did that and we accomplished that. And then I said, okay, now I need $50 million to actually take this to scale and actually say, okay, 
Uh, we've got the channel, but now we've got to go work with the school districts and actually help them upgrade. And, and what that did was it allowed funders to take sort of um, small steps of risk, but with a clear outcome that we were measuring, we, we all agreed we were being measured against. Yeah. And so like with each successive round, my existing funders got bigger. And so it made my fundraising challenge a lot easier. Well, and they had their pacing had to keep up with your pacing. Yeah, and generally it was about two years between each round. Okay. Um, and then the $50 million round we raised and that took us to the end. So that was sort of a five-year round. And were you always thinking about that? Like, okay, clock has started, two years, let's do it. Uh, yeah, basically I set my milestones as yeah. sort of two-year milestones. I don't think you can really envision anything past that and even two years is kind of difficult. But, yeah. but I think if you sort of say like, here's what we want to accomplish in the next two years mm -hmm. and you can measure me against this. Um, and if I do it, just know that I'm coming back for more money. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't throw you out? They didn't throw me out. <laughs> Good news. They didn't throw me out. Since you took an approach that was pretty similar to how you were operating and fundraising in the for-profit world, I'm interested, like, what did you have to change about yourself as a leader to operate in the nonprofit world? Yeah, I think that there, uh, well, before what I changed, a lot stayed the same. And I think if you talk to the folks who work at Education Superhighway and the people who've worked with us, that's one of the things they really appreciate. You know, we operate like a startup operates, right? And we've got a big sense of urgency about things. We have a lot of innovative people um, who really are looking to get stuff done and, and people really appreciate that. I'd say the two big things that I had to change as a leader was, was first, I had to understand how motivating and how important the mission was. Yeah. Um, so in our first few hires, I hired people the same way I hired people uh, when I was in the for-profit side, I just like looked for skill match and did I think they could get the job done and uh, would they fit with the culture and I wasn't really focused on their commitment to the mission um, and what I found was like those people turned over more quickly than I would have liked mm -hmm. and, um, and then I realized if I hire people that are committed to the mission that is an incredible source of motivation for them every day uh, in, in, when they come to the work. And, um, and it just makes not only doing the work more enjoyable because you're surrounded by people who are all striving to achieve this goal, um, but it also helps you find people that really will grow with the organization. The second thing though, it, for us in particular, is um, everyone who works at Education Superhighway is really committed to this notion of equity, right? What we do is we are trying to bring equal access to educational opportunity. And that means that when you're surrounded by a lot of people who have that kind of a, a lens on everything, mm -hmm. as a leader, you have to have that kind of a lens on everything more than, you, than I found you, you did in, in the for-profit world. So how difficult, because I know hiring is an issue that's top of mind for all tech nonprofits. What was it like trying to find people who were mission matched and also shared your vision of equity? Yeah, so the interesting thing is they find you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but you've gotta be like out there. You've gotta you know, make sure that people understand what you're doing. They have to, when they come to interview with you, they have to feel the passion yeah. of the other people. Um, you know, I, uh, I had an argument early on with one of our, our first funders about hiring. And um, 
you know, I, I, they asked me to put together a budget, and I put together the budget, and um, they started looking at it and how much I was paying people. And they were like, oh, these, these salaries are awful high. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? These are like market salaries. Like, you know, this is what I paid people at my last for-profit business. And they're like, yeah, but, but we get a non-profit discount. And I'm like, well, then you're not going to get the best people. And so we like literally had this argument where that was finally resolved by me saying, I'll tell you what, I'll hire one person at the salary I want to pay instead of two at the salary you want to pay. And, uh, and, and that way I'll get the best people. And um, they were like, okay. And then they, I just hired the two people anyway, and they didn't care. So, so um, you know, it's people, look, we, we can't, you know, I've, several people have said it, we can't compete with Google, but we can compete with pretty much any startup that's out there yeah. uh, in terms of salary, and, and we're giving mission instead of stock options. So we've had amazing talent. So for the tech entrepreneurs in the room who are like a little impact curious, they're thinking about crossing over, would you recommend it? Without hesitation. So I have done, this is my fourth startup that I've done, um, and without question, this has been the best work of my career. And not just because we've been successful, but it turns out when you wake up every morning and you're going to a job where you're gonna change the world and you're gonna help people and you're gonna help people improve their lives, nothing is better. Nothing is better. And uh, it has been a gift to me to get to do this work. And um, literally, I have not had one day in the last seven years that I haven't leapt out of bed ready to go to the office. I love it. Yeah, it's been awesome. You know, we're at the beginning of our road. We've been doing this for five years, but this is a nascent sector. Mm -hmm. And so I'm super curious, what does it feel like to be almost to the completed mission? It's bittersweet. Yeah. You know, on the one hand, we're super excited that we're, we're finishing. And we're, we're super excited that, you know, nearly 100% of the schools in this country are going to have the technology infrastructure they need to create equal access to educational opportunity. It's incredible. It's incredible. And we, couldn't have, we were a catalyst, and we couldn't have done it with a, without an incredible number of partners, um, particularly government partners. Uh, but, uh, but on the flip side, it's amazing coming to work every day, doing this work, and working with the team that we have at Education Superhighway. And so it's a little sad to see it ending. Yeah, of course, of course. I am going to open it up for questions, but I just have one more. Uh, you're an entrepreneur's entrepreneur, so I know this isn't your last startup. So tell me, what problems are you obsessed with now? Yeah, so um, it's definitely not my last startup. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I made that decision anyway. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the thing that I'm really obsessed with, with right now is how, how do we make government more impactful? Um, what we've seen in our work is that there is a tremendous hunger from government, from state government and municipal government in particular, to do better, to, you know, have greater impact with the resources that they are deploying every day. Mm. And I believe that we're at a moment in time where the combination of data and technology and the transformation that's happening in the workforce on the government side, and it's very much like what we saw happen in the classroom. You know, more and more sort of digital natives 
coming into the classroom and saying, well, where is the technology that I use in the rest of my life? Same thing is starting to happen in government as well as we see sort of a generation of, of folks retiring there. And the systems in government are end of lifing. I mean, a lot of that technology was put in in the 90s and the early 2000s. And so I believe there's this real opportunity right now to um, really help government get better. And I think there is a real appetite on the side of government, at least from the work that we've done, to, to figure that out. And they need help from people like those of you in the room. That's what we find so exciting here. You know, our founders, most of them have grown up with a phone in their pocket, so they couldn't imagine coming up with a solution that didn't leverage that powerful tool. Exactly. And it's happening at a moment in which people are realizing, like, oh, government does really important things. And it's our responsibility as citizens to advance it together. That's right. I, you know, my, my personal view is we can't solve the big problems of the world without government. Yeah. Only government has the scale to truly solve these problems, but government needs a lot of help. And government just doesn't have capacity. Like they, it's not that they don't want to do these things, they're just fully busy doing all the things that they're already doing, and, and they need innovation, and they need execution support, and they need policy support to help them get, get these problems solved. But, you know, only they're big enough to really solve most of these problems. Yeah. I'm excited you're working on that. That's yeah. going to be great. Uh, let me open it up. Are there any questions right here in the front? Thanks, Evan and Shannon. Um, so congratulations on rounding third base on your way to <laughs> September 2020. Um, I was curious about your thoughts on, in the last year, the, a lot of media has been um, published about the digital gap, as they say, in screen time in classrooms. Um, has the discussion over the last year um, created any obstacles for you in terms of, for example, fundraising or just your take on that whole discussion? Yeah. Um, so I'll be candid. The only place that I've heard this discussion is in the media. And uh, when we talk to districts and we talk to teachers and we talk, like, they're not talking about this. They were talking about these kinds of issues six, seven years ago when we were getting started. They're over it. Like, they understand that as a teacher, you have to manage screen time in your classroom. You know, certainly there are issues that, you know, are frankly more taking place at home and outside of school. Um, but no, they, we're not hearing that from schools. And I, I think schools are, are, are much more thinking about how do they make more effective use of technology in their classroom today. And for fundraising, you know, I don't know. I haven't had to raise money for five years, so, you know, <laughs> or four years. So, yeah, so I don't, it hasn't had an impact there. Fair enough. Is there another question? Well, while we wait, do you have any tips for folks who are considering launching a tech nonprofit, things you wish you would have done in the beginning? Mm. Um, you know, I think whether it's a, a tech nonprofit or any, any kind of startup, you know, the first thing is you have to be an optimist, yeah. right? You have to view the world as a glass half full. Um, you are going to run into problems. You are going to have days where you're like, I cannot believe that just happened to me. Yeah. Uh, we're never going to get over this. So you always have to sort of believe 
in, in what you're doing and believe that you, know, you will figure out a solution. Um, I think on the tech side, uh, early on, understanding your stakeholders and their points of view. So one of the things we did not do well early on, frankly, because we weren't really ready to do policy work, was we didn't understand all the different stakeholders in this space and the views that they would have. And, and as a result, the first meeting I went to in Washington, D.C. to talk about like what we were doing um, was at the Department of Education's Office of Information Technology. And the woman who was running it, an amazing woman who now runs an organization called Digital Promise, she invited these two other uh, leaders to, to join the meeting um, from organizations that care about tech in schools. And uh, so the first one's there and we're chatting, we're waiting for the other guy and then he walks in and I'm like, hi, I get up to say, hi, I'm Evan Marwell. He's like, I know who you are and my board is really pissed at you. And I'm like, uh, how does your board even know who I am? <laughs> I'm like this little nonprofit in California, like what the heck? And, and it turned out that um, I had written a couple weeks before my very first Friends of Education Superhighway update letter that I sent out to lots of people. And it ended up in his hands and that he then forwarded it to his board. And in there, I said one thing that I said, um, the E-rate program, which provides several billion dollars a year of funding for broadband in schools, um, has plenty of money, we just need to use it better. And what I didn't understand was the entire advocacy uh, ecosystem was trying to say E-rate didn't have enough money, and so here I was showing up and saying it had enough money and, and they were not happy with me. So understanding the stakeholders and, and all that is, I think, really, really important early on. And it can be so much more complicated in the nonprofit space, right? There's a lot of players engaged. A lot of players with a lot of different motivations. Yeah, absolutely. So. In the way, way back. Oh, I'm sorry, there's one up here and then we'll get to you. Sorry, go ahead. Right here at the front. Hello, my name is Tanner Badgley and I host a podcast called People of Purpose. I feature positive change makers like yourself. Um, I'm awesome. also a teacher and I was uh, teaching in Thailand most recently, and now I teach here in San Francisco, and there's obviously a huge technological divide between both of those places. I'm interested in um, how, if it's not you, how are you pressing forward in other countries maybe that are more behind in the development of technology in the classrooms to implement some of the principles and strategies that you found effective so that we can bring internet to Southeast Asia and Africa and places like that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So we actually do a fair amount of um, consultation with governments and foundations around the world um, about like how did we get this work done? Uh, we'll go speak, we'll, give them, we'll do technology transfer to them with some of the tools we've built. Um, but it's a, a growing thing. In fact, tomorrow I'm on a call with Chile who, who wants to talk about how do they uh, increase things. So um, my wife would, sh would divorce me if I told her I was going to start doing this around the world because I'd never be home. Uh, so that's not in my future. But, um, but I do think that uh, the work we've done here is turning into a model for others uh, around the world. And, and we're trying to share as much as we can with them. Fantastic. Uh, my name's Allison, I'm with Synopsys' community affairs team, and thank you for what you've done in, in focusing on public education. And you've essentially solved a problem in public schools. What else can you solve <laughs> problem by problem, or I don't want to say problem, but like 
things that are needed in public school? Is, is, there, is there another kind of bucket that you're looking at and, or, and you could apply this model to in that way? Yeah, so um, look, from the things I know about, I think that there are uh, quite a number of um, opportunities to use digital learning to solve various problems. So let's take one, for example, early, early childhood literacy, right? Um, there are some amazing tools that have been built and that are being used to, to, and are showing real results, um, but they don't know how to get to scale. And, and so I think the model that we've used is one that could be replicated for, for things like that. Um, I'm, I'm a very big believer in picking specific problems to solve that are finite because when you pick a finite goal, not only does it help you, like most importantly, it helps you just stay focused. And I think lack of focus is the, the biggest challenge that many young organizations have because they get pulled in lots of different directions, whether it's by customers or by funders or by employees or, or what have you. So um, picking a finite goal and, and being laser focused, and you may need to change your solution. We certainly had some solutions that we tried that didn't work and we had to abandon and, and find new, new ways to do it. So great. Will you join me in thanking Evan for his work in this moment? Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Incredible. Thanks very much. Thank you. You got it.